Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Patience Adamu. And I'm Curtis Vermont. And this is The Drip, a podcast about political decision-making during a racial revolution. Stay tuned as we analyze Canadian news and Black issues on a weekly basis. And if you like what you hear, remember to subscribe. On this week's episode, we are joined by MPP Michael Coteau as we discuss some of the top headlines from the week of February 7th, including... The Fed's forgiving Serb debt. Criticisms about Canada's vaccine failsafe. Trudeau committing the monies to transit. Durham and Halton regions are finding themselves in some Black History Month mess. The Dallas Mavericks and the Star Spangled Banner. Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill. And plenty more. To kick off our politics segment, in December, we shared that for Black History Month, we'd be sitting down with four Black Canadian politicians who are having an enormous impact on policy while pushing for equity, diversity, and inclusion in Ontario. Last week, we had Councillor Ariel Kayabaga, City Councillor of London, and it was an engaging conversation both on her own political perspective as well as her thoughts on Canadian news and Black issues. On the second installment of our Black Political Leaders series, we're proud to welcome MPP Michael Coteau to the show. Michael, welcome. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> our pleasure. And, and here at The Drip, we like to start interviews by walking through receipts. This is more than a bio. It's a specific recollection of the work you've done around poverty, the middle class, and Black folks in Ontario. So let's start. Michael, you've been the MPP for Don Valley East since 2011, and you're the former Minister of Children and Youth Services, as well as Minister Responsible for Anti-Racism from 2016 to 2018. Michael is a community advocate educator and entrepreneur who was elected as a TDSB trustee in 2003, 2006, and 2010, advocating for student nutrition, community use of space, and the use of educational technology. So it sounds like you just stay winning, huh? <laughs> just, uh, just involved, just involved. <laughs> you initiated the community use of schools motion that drastically cut user fees and made schools more accessible to groups that offer programs for kids, many of which serve the Black community. Michael helped introduce nutritional changes in schools that supported healthy food programs and increased awareness of student hunger. He worked as a community organizer for a United Way agency in Scarborough. Through ABC Life Literacy, he was responsible for organizing Family Literacy Day across Canada and was executive director of Alpha Plus, a national literacy organization that supports adult education through the use of tech. Michael is a husband, father, brother, son, and very busy these days as co-chair of the Ontario Liberal Party's policy development process. So we're really happy he's spending time with us today. Michael, once again, welcome. And how are you doing? You know what? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I'm still, you know, working every day and uh, my family's safe. I go see my father pretty much every day. He's, uh, he's in his 80s now. 
uh, and lives alone. So, you know, we're pretty lucky, but I do receive phone calls uh, every single day uh, from people in the community that, you know, that are going through challenges. And, uh, you know, my job right now is to make sure that they get they get access to resources and advice uh, uh, to better position themselves during this uh, these challenging times. Yeah. Man of the people. You sure you're not Doug Ford? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Def, definite, definitely for the people. Definitely not Doug Ford. <laughs> so, Michael, you were raised in Flemington Park, but you're kind of an honorary Scarborough man. Yeah, just the, the work I did out there, you know, it's in Scarborough. I spent a lot of time as a uh, as a youth worker out in Scarborough. And, uh, you know, even as a trustee and as an MPP, I continue to do a lot of work in the community. It's uh, it's very connected to uh, to who I am. We had the weekend, a fellow Scarborough man, make it all the way to the Super Bowl last week. As someone who has a track record of advocating for opportunity in underserved communities, how did you feel watching him perform? You know, the fact that he spent $7 million of his own money, just I couldn't get over that for some reason. <laughs> I kept watching and saying, he's put in, like, how, how does the weekend go to the Super Bowl you know, uh, the ratings are so high, everyone's making money and he ends up spending $7 million. Um, you know, I can't figure that part out. Uh, when an artist goes, apparently they, is that the current, the current trend or did he want to just heighten it, you know, beyond, uh, the regular resources allocated, but, um, you know, it's a lot of money spent and, uh, I hope it pays off for him because, uh, he was the talk of the town and continues to be the talk of this town and, uh, you know, and discussions all around the world. So, you know, I was proud of him as a uh, Torontonian. Yeah. I hear that. And I, I don't really know what the reason was. I, I think he wanted to make it bigger than it, you know, maybe it was in his head. I'm not sure that's how it ended up being, but again, he was the talk of the town and, and, uh, I pay him a lot of respect for that too. Yeah. yeah. You know, I've heard stories of the guy, you know, down at Ryerson and, you know, when he put out his mixtape, people were flying into the city, you know, like P. Diddy and people like looking for this guy with this mixtape. Mm. And, you know, I know that he had a bit of a struggle and uh, he he, uh, he was uh, he was putting together, you know, different songs. And, uh, you know, to see him go from where he's been to, you know, in a decade to where he is. And he's like a top tier international superstar. There's mm -hmm. no question, you know, to see that and see that, you know, he's come from where we're from, you know, our part of the world is it just makes me so proud. I hear that. Well, well, speaking of things that make one proud, speaking of drive, you ran to lead the Ontario Liberal Party and placed second. How do you think your race would have gone if you were running during COVID or post George Floyd? And do you think you would have been more or less successful? Um that's a hypothetical, you know, it's, uh, the world doesn't work that way. Right. Uh, and I understand where you're going with the question, but I left that convention. I left the convention. I got into my car and, uh, I exhaled and I said to myself in my, in my mind, I said, Michael, you did exactly what you, you know, you agreed, uh, you know, to do within your head. And that was to, uh, to speak about the issues that were important to you, uh, to be honest about the approach you were going to take and to, uh, and to leave that convention feeling proud of uh, of your campaign, and um, I felt uh, I felt proud, and I and I've never regretted one single thing we've done. You know, we did during that campaign period, and uh, you know, I uh, I thought that my vision to 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 talk about the values within a party and to 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 discuss redefining liberalism was such an important thing, and um, 
you know, it still needs to continue. And I'll still continue to talk about what it means to be a liberal today and look for ways to help define uh, that. And I think this policy process is going to be part of that as well. Jumping to policy, I remember that there was a concern within the Black community that the anti-racism strategy that you led was was too little, too late, and that it didn't consult Black folks in the province. Of course, Doug Ford has canceled the strategy only to replace it with a less comprehensive one. But And I assume that you would disagree with the characterization that it was too little, too late. Can you share your perspectives on this? You know, it's. Uh, I remember I've seen a couple of articles making that uh, that assertion that it was too little, too late. But look around North America today. Mm-hmm. There's not another single piece of legislation in North America that speaks to anti-racism. There's not one single piece of legislation in all of North America uh, that's that actually mentions anti-black racism and Islamophobia. There's not a single piece of legislation that is anywhere near what we were doing back in 2016, 2017. And if you look at Joe Biden's uh, new uh, policy on anti-racism work, if you put uh, our plan next to it, you will see that there are so many similarities. So what we did was we built this uh, brand new piece of legislation. We mandated that ministries collect disaggregated race-based data, uh, which is a very important thing. We uh, did the largest consultation in North Americans' history on racism. You know, I went to 10 major cities and spoke to literally tens of thousands of people about race. We were doing this when the word anti-black racism and systemic racism wasn't even part of mainstream vocabulary. So too little, too late. Um, You know, I completely disagree with it because if you can show me one jurisdiction in North America that has gone as far as Ontario has, um, I'll eat my words. Hmm. Michael's on fire. Michael's on fire this morning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's just, you know, like I've been I've been doing anti-racism work for, you know, in 2004, I introduced uh with uh, another gentleman named Bruce Davis, I introduced uh the motion to collect disaggregated race-based data at the Toronto District School Board. And because of that 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 piece of policy, you know, we see other school boards now, you know, 15 years later deciding to collect data police departments deciding to collect data and who they look at for that example, for those, uh, those data standards, they look at two sources. They go back to the Toronto district school board and they go into the Ontario government. I built um, the data standards that people can use in this province to actually collect data because, you know, collecting data is not just, you know, collecting data is not uh, just, it's not enough. You have to standardize the data collection so the language is common between different institutions. So if you have one group collecting data, like a library service and a police service, and they don't use the same data standards, they, it, it doesn't work. Absolutely. And with machine learning and AI and big data, you know, we can actually start to build better policy with this massive, uh, these mass influx of, of data coming in from the province to really understand where we are. And I was thinking that way 15 years ago. So to all the critics out there um, <laughs> who, says, who say too little, too late, show me another jurisdiction that's done more or show me another initiative like the TDSB and what we did in 2016, 17 in Ontario. And uh, like I said, I'll eat my words. The man said what he said. (laughs) Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. 
It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, Michael, speaking of race issues, um, do you think you grew up in a time where it was more reasonable or even expected to downplay one's blackness? And how do you think that's affecting black men today? So that's such an interesting question. You know, can you go into a corporate you know, environment and speak the same way like I would go into, you know, Flemington Park if I was hanging around with, you know, a few of my my friends? And, you know, do you speak the same way? No. Uh, but but that's, you know, but is that, does that define blackness? Right. The way we speak, mm. the way we dress, like what is blackness? You know, I've always looked at blackness as um you know, a couple of things, you know, where we're from, our roots, you know, our, the soul within and, you know, within within black folks, uh, uh, the struggle, the common uh, themes that connect us, you know, the history uh, we have uh, from the diaspora. And to me, it just uh, it really is something that, you know, the individual has to define. I always look at Q-tip's definition of, you know, black and that black is black. And that's how simple it is. Right. So. You know, it's it's I think that, um, yes, you have to adjust in any any world uh, based on the environment you're in. When you're in the legislature, uh, you are part of a parliamentary system that was established in a in a racist world, you know, a thousand years ago. Oh, actually, the racism uh, didn't didn't exist to the same way we know it today. A thousand years ago it was, you know, obviously with the introduction of slavery and, and the definition of race. But uh, racism, uh, the system that we live in from, you know, our common, you know, our common capitalist society, our governments, the language we use, uh, the laws, they were built and, and reinforced in a very racist, you know, old society. And we, we live within that society. So it's, it's interesting because you have to adjust based on the world you're in. But I, I have been able, to, you know, to go to school boards, to go to you know, to into corporate, the corporate world, to go into the legislature and adjust, but never compromise my values as a, as a black person, um, my uh, values as someone from the, the Caribbean and never, ever lose the value that I have as uh, someone who believes that we're, we're still in a struggle and, uh, you know, equity and inclusion and diversity and leveling the playing field has always been part of my motivation. I love that. As a follow-up, you know, on this on this podcast, we talk a lot about like how there seems to be a renewed interest among some some people in the community for conservatism. Why do you think that that is? I think there's a couple of reasons. Um, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, you see a black conservative in Ontario, and like I've always been an advocate for uh, diversity within the black community when it comes to joining political parties. I don't want black people just to be New Democrats or liberals or Green Party members or conservatives. I want us to define ourselves based on, you know, what our ideologies and approaches, and uh, and connect to parties uh, accordingly. But 
you know, think about the Doug Ford government today. Um, they've cut, they cut after school programs in the poorest neighborhoods in the province. Um, they uh, cut uh, community use of schools uh, funding. Um, you know, the focus on youth program. Have you heard of it? It's yeah. so. I was a beneficiary of that program, actually. So, so thank you. So my, myself and uh, Bruce Davis, the same time we introduced uh, a motion to start to collect data, we created that program, which was replicated across the province, uh, Bruce Davis and I, which tens of thousands of young people have accessed. And those jobs were allocated based on postal code. We were giving jobs to kids who traditionally didn't get jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, he cut that. You know, nutrition services cut, library service cut, anti-racism directorate cut. You know, they constantly cut uh, when it comes to issues uh, that connect back to the black community. So when I see black conservatives standing up there and defending Doug Ford, yeah, you know, sometimes it's challenging uh, for me, but uh, they may have their own reasons why that, you know, they support uh, Doug Ford. And that's their business. That's not my business. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will uh, I will challenge conservatives, black, white, uh, Asian, doesn't matter to me on the on the actions they take. And I believe that Doug Ford's government has not been good. Uh, to people fr- from racialized communities, especially those who are on the lower economic, tr- traditionally on the lower economic, I would say, scale in this uh, in this province when it comes to opportunity, employment and wealth. Yep, yep. You, uh, you make very good points and you certainly have agreement here. Speaking on policy and, and ensuring that it meets the needs of Ontarians, you, you were just named the platform co-chair for the Ontario Liberal Party's election bid in 2022, along with Kate Graham. Right. First, congrats. <laughs> well, th- thank you. Very welcome. Uh, can you give us insight into how you plan to include BIPOC, female, millennial, and other underrepresented voices in that process, especially the Black community? Well, um, we're, we're going to, uh, the first thing we, we're going to do is we're going to go out there using a piece of uh, software um, and connect with people individually um, and ask them to reflect on 10 different themes. Uh, many of those themes uh, will relate, I think, to BIPOC uh, communities. They will be focused on uh, different if- issues in relation to gender. It will be, you know, like the social justice issues, the economic development pieces. Like they, these are issues, uh, you know, the justice system, education. These are issues that impact many different communities. So you'll be able to personally weigh in on the importance as a liberal, but also we're inviting non-liberals, anyone to join this process to let us know what you think. So you can weigh in on the process from that level, but um, also as groups, uh, as stakeholders, as, uh, you know, if you have a specific interest, uh, you can actually make deputations to many different committees that are being set up to, uh, to talk about these issues. And those committees, so for example, if I take um, education, and continuing education as a theme. You know, we will have a group across the province uh, are, that's reflective of Ontario work uh, on connecting with people to pull as much information as possible and look for ways to embed that uh, through a process back into the platform. Awesome. So today we highlighted you as a Black politician in Ontario, and we hope that we've, you know, given you your flowers. You do outstanding work, and we're really, really lucky to have you at the helm, working to make our province better through your work in Don Valley East and beyond. Now, we want to give you the chance to give someone else their flowers, and we're calling this 
the Stacey Abrams moment. Is there a Black person you've worked with who has supported you and made things happen for you that you want to recognize? There's been so many people that have helped me uh, from the Black community. Um, you know, Marianne Chambers is the one that encouraged me to, uh, to run uh, provincially. Uh, David Smith, who's a trustee uh, at the Toronto District School Board, was one of the uh, people who uh, was convincing me to run for uh, the TDSB back in 2003. So we're talking about a long time ago. There's been so many people out there that, you know, that have uh, have provided me with support. Alvin Curling with uh, words of encouragement and advice. You know, Jean Augustine's from Grenada. Uh, my family's from Grenada. So, you know, seeing her as a as someone, you know, that you could uh, that just made you know, made made us so proud as a, as a black community, as Ontarians, as Canadians, but also as a, a fellow Grenadian, uh, she made me proud. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of different folks that, you know, that have contributed to to me uh, getting to 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 where I am from a political standpoint. But uh, I'm going to talk about one guy who, um, you know, I, if I had to say, you know, set me off in the right direction. Actually, two people. Um, one is uh, his name is Freddie Alexis. Uh, he was from my father's island off the coast of Grenada called Karikou. And, uh, you know, he would, uh, at an early age, he would talk to me a lot about um, the importance of uh, of investing in yourself and uh, in education and uh, looking at, he taught me how to look at the world in a, from a different perspective. And when I got to university, there was um, a gentleman uh, named Robert Simon and his partner at the time, uh, you know, they just had a, a baby um, they were in their second or third year at university at Carleton. He was the only guy from my neighborhood that I knew that went off to university at the time. And, um, he would check my, uh, my writing. Um, Jeanette, his, uh, his uh, wife would look at my writing as well. And, uh, he would say to me, you know, my first year, he said, Michael, you know, you're hanging out with these guys, you know, they all have, uh, families to go back to, you know, you're going to go back to your two bedroom apartment in Flemo with five people. If you, uh, if you fail, and he would he would give me that type of encouragement. You know, he was there, you know, as a young man <laughs> looking after a brand new baby while in university. I was there and he would say, Mike, he would say, Michael, this is this is what it means to me. You know, you've got to figure out, you know, uh, how to invest in yourself and and keep yourself, you know, engaged in this process. And I always thank him. You know, every single time I see him somehow, you know, I thank him for, uh, you know, for for putting those wise words in, into into my mind. And not allowing me to fail my first year, which, you know, as you know, many people do. Right. So there's been so many people and I'm so thankful. Uh, I'm just a lucky person. I've uh, I, I feel sometimes that, you know, um, that, you know, God, uh, some kind of, you know, will has just, you know, brought me in the right direction. And I'm thankful to all the people that played a part in that in that in that, you know, that process. Yes, indeed. And you know what? We're, we're thankful for all those folks who fed into you as well, because as we've just recounted through this interview process, you've done a lot for others. Yeah. So thank you. Truly. And yeah. Jumping from I, there. Wait, can I tell you, can I just add one more little part? I know I'm going way Like I just got to add one more part. The Freddie Alexis, the gentleman I talked to you about, he's the one that actually gave me $50 to apply for university. Cause I wasn't I was even incredible. thinking about it at the time. And yeah. he said, do it. And gave me the money, I applied and I got in, you know, wow. so imagine what that $50 did, you know, mm -hmm. that $50 investment did to my life, because I didn't think about university once until it was time to think about university in grade third, in grade 12. 
So imagine that. And I got in with a, a low 60s mark. It was the last year that Carlton had an open door policy. So if I didn't, if, and I left with an, with an A average, but if I didn't leave, if I didn't get that $50 and that encouragement, I wouldn't be talking to you today. That's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. Because of length, we thought we'd separate MPP Koto's interview from the rest of the discussion. To hear Michael's thoughts on Canadian news and black issues, listen to episode 41. And you might as well, right? Because it's not like you have anywhere else to be. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We're releasing pods on a weekly basis, so subscribe to stay up to date. We now have our own Instagram page dedicated to the podcast. Follow us at The Drip To You. Black people, we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you. So if you have any feedback or questions, feel free to slide in our DMs and let us know what's up. We'd also like to give a special shout out to Stephen Fissett, who graciously provided artwork for this podcast. If you like what you see, you can find him on Instagram at Scarborough Debutante. That's Scarborough, D-E-B-U-T-A-N-T-E, for all your graphic design needs. See y'all next time. 